Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. So glad to have you back this week. And I really appreciate the messages that are coming through the, the comments. And I appreciate all of you who are downloading and subscribing to the podcast. It really, really, I think, brings us visibility and validity to our stories. And I'm really proud of you guys for taking up the torch and carrying it along. So today I have a wonderful guest that I, I truly, truly love. And, and I just met her, but she is like the the light in my little professional life and, and has convinced me that I can write this memoir and that it will be published. So from her lips to God's ears, let's do it. So I want to introduce you to Jen T. Grace. She is an award-winning author, nationally recognized speaker, and savvy publishing strategist. Jen T. Grace is the founder of Publish Your Purpose, the acclaimed hybrid publishing company that gives first-time authors the secrets to getting their books written, finding an eager audience and marking mark, marking sorry guys marking their place in the publishing world publish your purpose is a certified b corporation social enterprise that meets the gold standard of socially and environmentally business practices jen leads ambitious authors through every aspect of writing editing and publishing so their book strategically aligns with their business objectives whether it's a business guide that shows the breadth of their expertise or an emotional memoir that takes readers deep into life's challenges she helps authors articulate their purpose and fulfill their mission jen has published the books of nearly 100 business owners entrepreneurs speakers and memorists so more diverse stories can exist in the world and her authors can make a positive impact and achieve the recognition and success they deserve. She is the author of six books, including her memoir, House on Fire. Jen has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, The Wall Street Journal, and CNBC. Jen lives in Connecticut with her family and enjoys being outside with her son, kayaking, and admiring the birds and nature around her. Jen, welcome to the Gay with God household. How are you doing? Yes, I love that we're in a household. I love yes, it. we are. You are in the Gay with God household. So I'm so happy to have you here. And uh, like I said, your your impact on my life already has has made a big a big splash, really. It's just been uplifting to have you in my little circle. And I appreciate you so very, very much. And I appreciate you being here today. Oh, thank you for that. When you were reading my bio, sometimes I forget what's in the bio and it said mm -hmm. ambitious authors. And I was like, Midge is an ambitious author. So it's perfect. I and almost said, in my circle too. <laughs> well, thank you. And I almost said that when it came to you, you've done, you've done a hundred you know, books and I'm like, someday a hundred and one, but <laughs> Maybe by the time we get to you, it'll be 201 uh, there. That's right. Let's hope so. <laughs> well, maybe I don't know. Do I want to wait that long? <laughs> you can do it. We I both know this. It. I can do it. OK, so so, Jen, this is your time to to explore your coming out faith journey story with our listeners and and to just dive in. So let's start at the beginning. When did you know that you were gay? You know, it's been a long time since I've had to answer this question, which is fun for me because I'm like, oh, how can I tell this story? It's been a while. Okay. But I, 
I didn't, I came out when I was 19. Okay. And if I actually look back without being stereotypical, it was very clear and obvious to everyone else around <laughs> me, but myself that I was gay. And so, and I identify as queer now, but you know, I used to say gay in the past, but there's mm-hmm. the political correctness around using LGBTQ plus, but I personally mm-hmm. say queer because it feels more encompassing and kind of opening of, I don't know, it just feels like a, a nice broader label instead of defining myself further. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I came out at 19. I, as many uh, LGBTQ individuals had a crazy level crush on a best friend because I feel like we all have had to have that happen. And I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Like I had no idea. And one day when I was 19, it was truly a light bulb moment mm. where all of a sudden for the first time in my entire life, everything just made sense. Oh. Where I was like, Oh my God, how I feel about her is how I should, and this is in quotes, I know no mm-hmm. people can't see my air quotes, yes, but yes, yes. quotes, that's how I should be feeling toward the, the, the men that I'm dating mm-hmm. or boys that I'm dating. And mm-hmm. once I had that revelation, it was honestly like my entire world was like just a little bit out of focus. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like that light bulb moment hit and then everything just became crystal clear and mm. everything from 19 back to fourth grade made perfect sense. And I was like, oh, wow, this, this is who I am. Okay. That that's, fun. And then I had to, you know, go through the process of reconciling what that meant and all of those fun things. So when you were 19, what was the climate around the community, the LGBTQ community? You know, that's a really great question. So I came out in the end of 2000. I think it was like the fall of 2000. I don't remember having a lot of people that I could like, I don't remember seeing a lot of people that were, were queer or LGBTQ individuals. Like even on TV, mm. there were like a little, cause I think that there was like a Buffy, the vampire slayer. I think there was like a storyline. I didn't watch it, but I remember that there being like some love interest between two women and that being like a big deal. So I feel like the climate to me felt very still kind of isolating, even though it was mm-hmm. like the early two thousands, you would imagine, mm. you know, that it would have been a little bit better at that point, yeah. but I don't, I don't personally remember it being all that better. And so mm-hmm. I remember having that, like, that coming of age type of like, all right, now I recognize that I like women. Now let me like pay attention to the women that like the actresses that I was like obsessed with for the longest time. Like, oh, that now makes sense. (laughs) I just, I don't really remember there being a lot of visibility across the board. So so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a, a huge difference in our journey because you can come out and you can have that laser focus and say, boing, now I know. And now what am I going to do with it? (laughs) now what so where did you go from there so you so you were laser focused you now know who you are and then then what well I I remember like going to Barnes and Noble and Borders when Borders was around I love that store oh me too and right so sad and I remember going like going to that little gay section that they had which is like the tiniest little section so it's interesting right (laughs) there's like six books in it um (laughs) And I remember finding like, it, oh, I forgot what the name of it was. And I donated all of the books to a pride center locally, maybe 10 years ago, where mm-hmm. I just had all these gay books and boxes for the longest time. But there was like, you know, the, the big lesbian sex book or something random yes. like that, that like borders had, I'm like, wow, go for good for you borders. Like where, where did this come from? Um, but for me, like, I'm just a, a curious person in a, and I, I want information type of person. So mm-hmm. 
from there, it was like, okay, here, here's now who I am. Now I have to figure out how I get through the fact that I'm like in love with my best friend. Cause I didn't realize that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then how do I get through? Like, how do I just understand more? How do I, who can I learn from? Who can I talk to? Who can I, you know, and, and that ended up leading me to dating, mm-hmm. actually dating women. I was already dating men, but dating women and, um, finding my first girlfriend shortly thereafter. I, I want to say we probably met like maybe six months after I had come out. Mm. And that was like the eye opening because she was living in Boston. I was living in the kind of the Providence ish area. And so, you know, it's like maybe an hour and a half hour drive, not far, but the climate change between Rhode Island as a state and Massachusetts as a state at that time was wildly different. Mm. And so that was really where I started to experience a lot of new things because there were actually were queer clubs that you could go to, or there was like, you know, a ladies night at a bar or something like that. Whereas in Rhode Island, there were much, much further, farther and further between to find. Yeah. I can remember going after I figured out I was gay, which took forever, but um, (laughs) 30 years was a long time. It really was. (laughs) There's so much more I could have done, but um, I went back to a reunion for my high school and someone had told me that there was a gay club in Hickory, North Carolina, which astounded me because when I was there, I, I wouldn't have believed that at all. And so I tried to find it after the reunion because the reunion was so horrible and I went to find it and it was literally on a side street that no one ever should go down. And there was a brick wall and the door was part of the brick wall so that you couldn't really tell there was a door. And the only reason, so I had the address and I looked for it and I found it, the address, but I couldn't figure out where, where it was because there was no sign or anything. And then I saw somebody Mm. go into the brick wall. It was like, like, (laughs) Oh my God, really? (laughs) That's got to be it. Wow. It was very, very speakeasy-esque, right? Oh, it was weird. And I went in, it was all dark and a little bit smoky. And there was like maybe three people in there and two of them almost, I wasn't sure if I was in the right club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. That's not going to yeah. be in the book, by the way. <laughs> oh, come on, Mitch. But you heard it here first, people. You heard it here. <laughs> This is background content for That's right. the, the readers of your book. That's right. So, so during that time though, I mean, you know, the isolation and, and trying to figure out, you know, who to date and how to find those people, it, it got, it, it was harder, you know, back when you came out and when I came out to even locate. So when you say that she was in Boston and you were in Providence, that's, that's amazing that you guys even found each other. Yeah. And it, because, you know, dating apps, they ex- they were just starting maybe a few years after this, but it's not like they had any actual like queer people on them. Right. So right. because they're like, I'm not going on this heterosexual dating app. That's not going to do me any good. And like now there's, you know, there's apps specifically for lesbians, specifically for gay mm-hmm. men. So it's so different mm-hmm. than it was, which oh, is yeah. now 22 years ago. Yeah. But there was a website called Planet Out. And I don't remember fully what, how I found it. It was through the internet mm-hmm. and they had like a, and it was queer specific and it had some like dating section of it. And that's how we ended up meeting. And wow. that was in the year 2000. No, oh, 2001 wow. year, 2001. So like 21 years ago. Wow. So I was like, you know, a pioneer on dating apps, apparently yes, you were <laughs> the leader. <laughs> She's always been a leader people, <laughs> but it was on just like this random website. So I don't know. That's so wild. It's crazy. So everybody knew, but you, which is very similar to a lot of stories. So 
what about your family? Were they clued in or was it just people that you were friends with? How did your family work through that? Great question. (laughs) So there's a picture of me that I include in the back of my memoir. House on fire. Go buy it. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you, Mitch. And the, I chose this picture as the author bio photo specifically because it so screams, could she look any more gay if she tried? (laughs) And it's me. And I'm like, maybe 10. I am wearing a Batman shirt and I'm wearing like the, the, I call them squishy pants, but like the, the run track pants. Mm-hmm. And I have my arms like wide, like up against, like in between two trees. And I'm like all like big and badass <laughs> thinking I'm like 10. <laughs> and I look at that picture and I happen, I feel fortunate enough that I found that picture because it was missing for decades. And mm-hmm. then I came across it when I was going through my mom's stuff, when she passed, I was like, oh my God, the picture still exists. And so I was like, I have to use this photo, but I look like every stereotypical thing you would ever possibly imagine. And I think I'm like, were my parents in denial? Did they, did they know and just chose to ignore me? Like, I just, I don't really know, but a cousin of mine, we got together to go hiking last year and she had read my memoir and she very clearly was like, yeah, everybody knew. So But I don't know if that's like, I don't know if that's factual or if that was like her family, like Mm. if all everyone Mm -hmm. in her family knew, but you know, I ended up coming out and I, and unfortunately the first person I dated that I found on that website was a very abusive person. So I Mm. went into my first relationship with a woman was incredibly abusive and still kind of leaves scar tissue to this Mm. day as a result. Mm. And my mom was having zero part of her and At first, I felt like it was specific because I was dating a woman and she was having no part of that part of me. But over time, I think I was able to see more so that she was just recognizing that I was with a really abusive, terrible person who treated me really poorly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's more of what her issue was versus it actually being with a woman. But it did take Mm -hmm. her time to like process it because that's what happens with all parents, mm-hmm. you know, and it, most parents, it feels like that they mm-hmm. have to grieve, you know, they have to grieve that loss of what they thought mm-hmm. was going to be the life for their child. And, mm-hmm. you know, we might be stewing on things for years or a lifetime, but all of a sudden we just kind of, you know, throw it out yes. there at somebody and we expect yeah. them to just immediately be like, oh, let's accept me immediately. Like they have right. to have time to process. And I would say right. that even now in 2022. Yes. Yes. You know, the people still need that processing time. And it's not really yeah. fair of us as the, the queer person to just spring that on somebody and immediately expect everything's going to be rosy because it, it does need just a little bit of time. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think even parents who are affirming of our community still have a dream when they were pregnant with us of what we would be and how it would work out. And they have, they have desires for us, even though, you know, they can't lead our lives, but that takes a little minute to unwrap that and reestablish it, especially for the, the trans community, you know, that, that is like a, a a double shift to not only bring back the dreams. Now you have to recreate the child. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's even, I would think even harder for parents, but, and, and I'm very happy for those for those parents who are so embracing of their kids that, mm-hmm. that they take it and they get it and, you know, and run with it and help their mm-hmm. child in every way. But that's a small number mm-hmm. that I know of. <laughs> I don't know how, yeah. how big that community of parents is, but it's small. Yeah. 
And fortunately, I think it gets better as mm. the decades progress. Yeah. Because you know? even thinking about, again, 20 something years ago, mm-hmm. it's a different, it was a different environment to something 30 years ago versus 40 mm-hmm. years ago. They're just kind of evolving environments. And so we mm-hmm. kind of have to, I don't know, be as, as reasonable, mm-hmm. not quite the word, like open, do our best, just try to like, mm-hmm. you know, meet in the middle. I know for my mom, it was interesting because I got, I'm now divorced, but I got married in 2011. And when we got engaged in 2009, I remember having the conversation with my mom saying like, listen, uh, we got engaged and she was devastated because I was marrying a Yankees fan and in Rhode (laughs) Island, you don't like the Yankees. And so that was the point where I was like, okay, like the world has shifted because she was like legit upset that like, how dare I marry a Yankees fan? And so that was like, all right, good. She's not mad that I'm marrying a woman. She's right. just upset that I'm marrying a Yankees fan. That tracks completely. <laughs> so that's when I knew that was like the full, the full turning point. I love that story. <laughs> it's like in Steel Magnolias, I have cancer. Oh my God. No, not really. I'm just gay. Oh, oh, thank God. <laughs> Yep. Best coming out story ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so who else in your family um, embraced you or did not embrace you during that time? That's a great question too. What do we have to think today? <laughs> I feel like, cause it was really just my mom and my sister mm-hmm. and my sister and I have never had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. So I don't even count factor her into this. Cause she's actually the one who like outed me to my mom before I could even have a like a proper conversation about well, of it. Of course so, she did. I read the memoir folks. I got some inside scoop. Of course she did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you want all, you want all the story, go check out the memoir. That's right. But house on um, fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the promo image and the get and L, being LGBTQ is absolutely a storyline through all of it. It's not the focus of it, but it's certainly mm-hmm. a background piece because it's mm-hmm. who I am, but yeah, I don't like, I've never really been super close to most of my family which, you know, that's kind of goes into detail in the memoir as well. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that I really cared necessarily of, of what they thought, but I remember caring with my friends. So mm-hmm. I had like a good group of friends and none of them, they all were perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting because I, I feel like this happens with some people, not everybody, but some people when you come out is that you kind of go through this phase of being like really homophobic because mm-hmm. you hate yourself so much. Mm-hmm. And so I had gone through that phase probably a year to a year and a half before I came out. And so I think it was my like Mm self-loathing and hatred that probably tipped my friends off before, Mm -hmm. which is why everybody was kind of like, yeah, we know. Mm -hmm. So I think that might've been a little piece of it. I don't think it's everybody though, but I know that there's definitely a percentage of us that just you like Mm -hmm. you, you're just home outwardly homophobic because you hate yourself Mm. and it's an awful place to be. I'm really glad you brought that up because another guest had talked about the inner homophobia and you're absolutely right that even after we come out, that piece of us that, that may have been connected to the church or had any kind of negative feedback from the church that was buried in us long before we ever knew about ourselves for most Mm -hmm. of us. And Mm -hmm. then when we come out and we get all excited that piece is still there and, and yet not uncovered again. So Mm -hmm. you experienced it before, then you came out and then any other time throughout our lifetime, that little naggy thing can come back in and, you know, give us a little bit of trouble every once in a while. So that's Mm -hmm. something to always remember that 
that, you know, Hitler said at one point, unless I'm remembering this incorrectly, but you give me your child from birth to five and I'll have them for the rest of their lives because Mm -hmm. he knew how developmentally connected kids are at that age and that they bring things in and it's hard for them to let them go. Mm -hmm. So that's where the journey is and that we, we can always be aware of that journey and not shy away from it, but embrace it and know that that's part of our healing. And every Mm -hmm. time it comes up, we get to heal on a different developmental level. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's absolutely true because that birth to five Mm -hmm. for all the, all of the trauma is just really anchored in, not to Mm -hmm. say there isn't plenty of trauma that happens after that, but absolutely some of those basic needs types of things, they're, Mm -hmm. they're really drilled into you and they're hard to unpack, you know, even as adults. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. so in your experience, did you have a faith community growing up? Did you guys hear any negative information from church or Great question. And it's interesting. So my mom was Catholic and my dad believed in nothing. And now as an adult, I find the humor in this, but as a child, I didn't understand the conflict. And I used to resent my dad so much because I would be dragged to church And he would be having fun at home while the three of us were going to church. Mm. And so I truly, truly hated the Catholic church from a very, very young age. And -hmm. that was not based on other people, because again, this is like the eighties and nineties. So this is not like where there's plenty of access to information. It was just like my, my intuitive instincts, just, it it didn't fit. Like it Mm -hmm. just didn't fit for me. And I started discovering like spirituality, but I didn't, that wasn't the word used. Mm-hmm. I don't know what word was used, but like more so of just like being in nature and being grounded to the earth, like a little more on the kind of like the paganism side of things. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I was stuck in religion until I made my confirmation and my dad died like three days after I made my confirmation. And he, he obviously attended, you know, he would go, he would be forced to go to church on major holidays as many are. And, and it was always like a sore, sore subject between my parents. They would, they fought about everything anyway, but this was something that they fought a lot about. And it was after he died and it literally was like three days. It was like, you know, the midweek after the the Sunday ceremony. And I was like, fuck this. Like, I was just so like, that Mm -hmm. was like the complete like the gauntlet was thrown, like I am done with this bullshit religion. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that his death had anything to do with the religion, but in my 15 year old mind, that's how I tied those two things together. Mm -hmm. And I remember going down the path of kind of like exploring, you know, just looking at like, again, in a bookstore, it was a borders, different borders, but a, a borders. And just kind of going through the section of things that were around like paganism or Wiccanism or witchcraft mm-hmm. or spirituality, like anything that I could find and consume. And I never, like at the time, nothing ever actually like felt like it fit, but I still have a, a tarot set, a tarot card deck that I bought with some book about paganism in 1997, I think I bought it. I still have this damn card deck, which survived <laughs> the house fire. It's all smoky and charred, but I still have it. Um, oh. And so it was interesting because it just, I don't know what it was. There was just something like instinctual in my being that I just never believed in anything that came out of the church. I, I don't, but I have no 
other than like maybe a past life situation where it's like something that's like inherently in my being that's from the past. But there was on the surface, there's no way I would have had access to that information. There wasn't right. anybody in my life who was, you know, degrading the church, mm-hmm. you know, in school, like, and like my best friend growing up didn't have any, any religious practice or spiritual practice, neither of her parents did, but like they didn't criticize Catholicism, you know? So like, I just, I don't know where it came from. And that's something that I continue mm-hmm. to try to like figure out. Cause one day I'm convinced that like, it's just going to pop. I'm like, that's how it has yet to happen though. Yeah. Well, while you were talking, I was thinking about, and, and I know I do have an inside scoop with the book and everything that I read your memoir. Um, it, I wonder if your mother epitomized the Catholic church. She was so into it. And, you know, that connection to Catholicism has to be rooted in the mama somewhere. Of course, all the trauma goes back to her. We have to blame the mama. <laughs> Obviously, that's what all memoirs do. Oh, come on now. <laughs> that's a great question. But it's interesting. I mean, of course, I have no clue. Um, but it's interesting to me that without having any other influence, it was you, your mom, your sister, your free-flowing dad that didn't have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and and so that whole church thing and, it, you know, were you close to your father? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So it's 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 all it's so, so interesting that the father and the mom fought about a lot of things. And and clearly, you know, with your sister and, and how she acted out in the family, yeah. then, you know, that that's there you go. It, who knows? You know, the one piece of information I didn't share, which, you know, because you read the book, but it might be like a missing mm-hmm. piece here is that I okay. did go to Catholic school from nursery school to fifth grade. Uh-huh. So somewhere in there that also, but it would have been beat into me in a way that I just didn't appreciate. So there's certainly yeah. that kind of piece to it as well. Well, and you're, you're such a, a, a force of nature in your soul. Anyway, you're, you have a work ethic, you have a, a, a vision, you know, how things need to go and, and you're so open to other people. So, you know, Catholicism back in the day, and, and I would, assume still now, you know, I'm Episcopalian, so we're Catholic light, you know, all the drama, <laughs> <laughs> not a whole lot of the guilt. <laughs> so yes. Apparently I'm, I'm new. I'm only two years into it, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think that I would have handled Catholicism in, in that way of so guilt ridden and strict. And it just suffocates it, mm-hmm. in my opinion, it, it just seems so suffocating. And that would, totally not be the picture I have of you as someone that's, you know, walks the line and doesn't question and doesn't Mm -hmm. (laughs) expand to be all that you can be. Cause that's all you've done your whole life is expand to be Mm -hmm. everything that you need to be and want to be. So, yeah, it's interesting to think about guilt though. Yeah. So, or how the guilt is taught through Mm -hmm. Catholicism because I don't know how it's actually taught, but it is something that everyone experiences. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, and especially if we're going back to your point about up to age five. Mm -hmm. So if all I know is Catholic school until I'm, however you are, however old you are in fifth grade, maybe 10, something like that, nine, 10, maybe Mm -hmm. that like permanently laid a track of guilt. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that, what my life would look like without that guilt. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. it's, like, it's one of those things that, you know, there's things that we can tackle, we can unravel, we can do what we want with it. 
But something like this, like I have zero clue what the impact of that guilt actually has done to Mm -hmm. me, for me, with me, however we Uh want to phrase it. Uh But I do know that my entire life up until maybe seven or eight years ago, and actually this does still happen from time to time, because I was at I was at a friend's house yesterday with my girlfriend and something broke or something happened. And I instinctively, my entire life, like if something is broke, something's missing, I'm not in the room. I'm not even in the same, same country. Somehow I take that on as like, I did this. And I used to, I used to be that way a lot, like a lot. Now I'm like, it happens every now and then now. And this time last night, I very well was in the vicinity of something breaking. And so it could have been me, but, um, you know, but, but before I would be so worked up and so upset thinking like, oh my God, they're going to think I did it. Like I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, it would be all that shame and all the guilt, mm-hmm. but I've never actually thought about, is that directly tied to a religious mm-hmm. upbringing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it is, Yeah, but it's an interesting thing to think about. It is interesting. And it also plays into, you know, the coming out process. And, and I think it's, it's nice that your mom, even though she probably had to take a minute and longer than a minute to figure it all out, but you know, that uh, coming out to a parent, if you have any of that kind of shame and guilt, wherever it comes from, that makes it twice as hard. And it also kind of compounds that inner homophobia that mm-hmm. how can I ever be worthwhile? How can I ever, you know, make it, you know, because of mm-hmm. all the shame that we feel and mm-hmm. That's people don't understand. I don't think from our from our perspective, you know, that this is another layer that we have to to deal with on a daily basis from the time we're little and that every time we come out, it's never just one time. It is a constant emerging of somebody has to know this. You know, it's not like heterosexuals, you know, they show up and everybody just assumes they're heterosexual and we can't let the people assume that because then we get in trouble for leading them <laughs> without mm-hmm. telling them. You know, So it's yeah. so interesting how we we take on a lot more um, of society's Shatola in a way, because mm-hmm. we have to be progressive in how we come out and how we inform and how we lead our lives. Uh, Cause it's just different and guilt plays into that inner homophobia plays into that. Mm-hmm. And just uh, hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have to be very hypervigilant about it. We're exhausted. Aren't we exhausted people? <laughs> we are absolutely exhausted people. And you know, what's interesting. I was just having this conversation. So I was with my girlfriend yesterday, introducing her to a couple of friends of mine. And these friends are in their sixties. And one of them looks just like the most adorable grandmother you've ever seen. There's nothing about her. That's like, Oh my God, she's a a gay grandmother, right? Uh Like that's, that doesn't come up. And then my other friend, very like just neutral, right? She's not like super screaming gay or anything like that. And so that's the observation that my girlfriend has on our car ride home. And so it ended up getting us in this conversation about like, at what point is it relevant to the conversation? So we were talking about networking and I was saying, because I'm a master networker, my girlfriend's a master networker, the two friends we were at, like everyone's into networking. And so two of them are going on and on about like mutual connections or whatever. And I was like, oh, you two should really like, you got lots of potential here, like go have fun. And I was like, oh, you should invite her into your networking group. And then I was like, I wonder how that would work. Like, would she come into that networking environment being like, hey, everyone, I'm a lesbian. Or would she just show up as herself and it wouldn't matter? Uh And so it got just turned into this really interesting 
conversation because it, to your point about like coming out or like having to like constantly be coming out because in a new environment, most of the time, I don't think it necessarily matters. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to build a relationship with a group of people or in an individual person, it absolutely matters. So mm. it's this weird line that like, if you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, oh yeah, that's not gonna, that's not, that's not going anywhere, but then it does. Now you've like omitted this huge piece of your identity. And it's not like you were omitting on purpose or intentionally. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I don't need to be screaming who I'm sleeping with in the middle of a conversation. that's not about <laughs> that, you know? Right, right. And so it gets this really weird dynamic that I think a lot of times we get put in. In my case in particular, I am as out as it gets. Like there is no, it is very clear where I stand on all of the things. Like, it, like even the, our email signature, it says like we're an LGBTQ owned company. Like mm-hmm. I do not shy away at all. But I do wonder about other people, like the three people that I'm mentioning that I was with yesterday, mm-hmm. where that's not, that's not relevant to what their work is or what they do. Like they have, mm-hmm. like their existence is very different. Just like even in your case, right? Where you have gay with God, clearly you can't get any more out. But in <laughs> other people's cases, right? Like they're navigating this world in a really different way than even you and I are. And our mm-hmm. way is almost coming from, I don't want to say a place of privilege, but there's mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Because it's a place of privilege that we can just be out and not unapologetically and not really care about what ramifications might occur to us in our profession, personal mm-hmm. lives, whatever, where there's plenty mm-hmm. of other people where if they mm-hmm. come out, they're fired or they come out and they're mm-hmm. in like physical harm's way somehow. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, it's a very interesting dynamic. It is an interesting dynamic. And I know that there are times in my life that I've hit it, especially early on, because, you know, my my girlfriend at the time, you know, did not want to be out. I mean, she had been out way before me. She had seen the brutality. She had had, you know, homophobic things toward her. And, um, and so she was really scared. And then, you know, I waited 30 years to come out. So it was like, bing, (laughs) here I am. I got it. I got it. (laughs) I finally got it. And I was so excited. And she had to keep kind of, you know, tempering me down. But in, it also matters, I think with location, because in the town that I live in, um, I started out as a school counselor and if, in the school system, you could not because of the it wasn't really a purity clause, so to speak, but it was a professional clause that they put in there that you could not embarrass the school system and you could be fired for coming out back in the day. And then even in mental health, when I was a therapist with the children, you know, you, you can't be in this small town and have a, a lesbian counselor go behind a closed door with your kids. That just yeah. wasn't going to. And so we had to be super, super careful then, but now I feel like the way I handle it is yes. If you've got to be under a rock, not to know that I'm probably out and and what I'm all about, Mm -hmm. there are still some people, but, um, I love now that I, that it just comes up in conversations when I'll say something, well, somebody will ask me a question and say, well, my wife, and I will just use the word wife, just like a heterosexual Mm -hmm. would use the word wife or husband. And I just let it come into the conversation and I'll know right away by how high their eyebrows get. (laughs) (laughs) They were completely taken by surprise, but that's, that's what I meant earlier about how it's always a process for us that, that even if I were to just bring it up in a conversation, like it was as natural as peanut butter and jelly, you know, there are people that are still having to hear that Mm -hmm. and that they're, they were caught unaware. And then in this town, uh, it was very clear that having a gay business, I mean, my, I didn't, my, my counseling 
my coaching thing is not labeled gay. It's empowering awakened hearts, LLC, but because I was in a networking group and they knew I was gay, I got no networking referrals sent Mm. out. And it was very clear that this community will not embrace me as a, as an entrepreneur because I don't fit. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's still a thing. Still a thing. thing. I know. You know what this leads good, a good segue to though, is thinking about how we show up Mm -hmm. and from a marketing standpoint. So I know your mm-hmm. audience isn't necessarily people who own businesses and need to know how to be from marketing, but just broadly speaking, so much of the time, all we're talking about is how do you attract the right person, mm-hmm. right? Like how do we attract the right person? Great. That's like all of what marketing is based on, but what is not spoken about enough is how do we repel the wrong person? Mm. And by just showing up as who we are, we inherently repel all of the people that hate LGBTQ people. <laughs> so I think it's actually a blessing in that regard, mm-hmm. because if someone yeah. like I sure as hell do not want to work with somebody who is going to be mm. homophobic, xenophobic, racist, anything, yes. ableist, any of that. Right. And by leading with my identity, it avoids that conversation altogether because somebody who is going to be one of in that bucket of people, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're going to be repelled by me, not, not attracted to me. And I think that's actually a, a blessing in many ways, mm-hmm. but it can be very scary and very confronting at the same time. Cause you're like, Oh my God, they hate me as a person. We have yeah. to like remove <laughs> our own personal, like hurt feelings yes. from kind of the matter at hand, which yes. is hard to do. Yeah, it is. And for those of you listening, I mean, I think that's brilliant that Jen is Jen has hit it on the head when she talks about all of those people who are hurting your hearts right now, they're not people that you really need or desire to have in your life. And I know it's harder when it's family and that you're trying to stay connected to your family and you have that sense of loss because they're not on, on the same page, but time also heals many things. It can, it can heal many things and it just takes a while sometimes, but you know, uh, since we're talking also about books, you know, the, the last chapter is never written until we're gone and that's it. And until then, we still have a, a chance to write the new chapter and, and we decide what's next. Yeah, so, it's in our control. It is. is. The, it's, the, it's the healing work that has to happen to yes. make that happen. Yes. So you came through all of it, the fire, the sister, the mama and the daddy, <laughs> <laughs> all <laughs> and the all things. of that, all of them things. Uh-huh. And you got yourself a pretty good business. Tell, a, tell the folks a little bit about this Publish Your Purpose business that's so divine. Oh, I love that you call it divine. So it started because I've written a bunch of books. So I wrote my first book in 20, started writing it in 2012, published it in 2013, did another one 14, did another <laughs> one 15, another one 17, and it just keeps going on and on. And everyone I knew was like, oh my God, how did you know how to, how to write and publish a book? I'm like, I didn't, I just made a bunch of mistakes. Mm. And after I wrote and published my third one, I had enough people who were asking me this and I was like, all right, let me assemble you in a group because it's just way more efficient to just do this in a group. So Mm. I got seven people who I was like, listen, if you don't get what you asked for, I'll give you your money back. There's no, like no hard feelings. You'll be on your way. And I ran the group. I ran it again. I ran it again. This was all through 2015. And then in 2016, I had a couple of people say to me, listen, I love what you're teaching me, but it'd be so much easier if I could just pay you to do it instead. And (laughs) it was that conversation in addition to a couple of other things that were kind of, 
I had like a, an aha moment when I was doing a keynote speech one day. I had personal drama going on at home. So there's like a convergence of three specific things that all kind of happened mm. at the same time that made that my answer, because it was like the universe was just kind of like handing me mm-hmm. this opportunity that was so beautifully mm. laid out because I was completely burned out by my consulting work because mm-hmm. I had been doing it for a decade and consulting when you're doing advocacy related work is exhausting mm. because you are saying the same thing every single day and you're watching the progress move at a snail's pace. Mm. And I like to see results. Mm-hmm. And so I was really burnt out by that. And it was the same topic over and over and over again, the same stories, the same examples, the same keynote. And I was doing very well. I was making good money doing it. It was very profitable. And I was just tired from it. And so when I had, it was two authors in particular who were like, yeah, can I just pay you to do it? And I was like, it never even crossed my mind to even think of doing that. And so I thought about it over the weekend. And then literally I was like, I'm in, like, let's do this. And so um, they became like my first and second books that came out like, right. They were like competing with who was going to be published first. (laughs) And the beautiful thing about publishing, there's so many beautiful things. Mm for the, the personal selfish reasons is that my brain is interested in everything. I am curious about literally everything in life. Does not matter what the topic is, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And so being able to work with authors on topics that I know nothing about is the most satisfying, beautiful way to live because I'm constantly learning new information that I bring to the next conversation I have or that I bring mm-hmm. to a podcast that I'm on. Mm-hmm. And so from a, from a purely personal reason and just how my brain is wired, it's a beautiful thing. But when I actually just sit and think about the impact that myself and my team make on people on any given day, mm-hmm. it is so rewarding and inspiring to know that even just a a conversation where I'm just talking to somebody to kind of learn about like, if I can even help them Mm -hmm. to know that like, so often I don't like things just come flying out of my mouth. I don't even like, I, (laughs) this sounds a little bit crazy maybe, but sometimes I feel like I'm just like a channel, like Mm -hmm. literally information is coming from Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And I am just the one who is just spewing it out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I do that in every conversation. I don't hold back. I will give away all of the information there is because there's a lot of people who will, they'll give you like a little bit, they'll give you a taste, mm-hmm. but then they like force you to have to work with them to get the rest. Whereas if we're on a conversation, I'm not holding back and I'm just going to say what comes to me. Mm-hmm. And so often I'll have people come back to me like six or eight months later and be like, you know, we had that conversation back in whenever. And because of that conversation, I did X, Y, and Z. It might be nothing related to the book, but it, did something, it triggered some Mm -hmm. way for them to show up in the world differently and to impact people in a different way. And I'm like, what greater position could I put? Like, how lucky am I to be in a position where my conversations can have this ripple effect of impact to so many other communities of people and most of them I probably have no idea about. And I think that's such a cool, special place to live. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about you and, and the thing that that really made me stay connected is that from the minute that we met online, you gave things away for free. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and everybody does that. I mean, but not in the same way. So everybody does like free webinars and they hit you hard at the end of the hour, then you got to pay to go to this next phase. And with Jen T Grace, you have a conversation with her and she not only shares things with you in the moment, 
but then she has a whole week full of free information and links to go to, and she'll give you more links. And, and it's amazing. That's why I call it divine. And I agree with you that you probably are a channel that, that this, this is so your purpose. Mm-hmm. It's you publish other people's purpose, but your job that your purpose is to give us a voice mm-hmm. and to, to bring our story out there. And you do it in such a, a giving way. And I just felt this connection because you weren't, and I, I'm glad you, you probably make money. That's probably a given, <laughs> but, but so I was so aligned with you being honest and open and so giving and you give and you give and you give and and it's just a beautiful thing. So, you know, if if my memoir is published, you know, I want it to be through Publish Your Purpose Publishing Company because I align with your value of being authentic and compassionate and it just makes perfect sense and and I love that that I found it, you know, because mm. you've if you had if you had told me a year ago that I would be sitting here at 67,000 words. Right. And it's not even been six months yet. I know it's a lot people. You won't have to read all of those. I swear they're going to hack it to hell. And <laughs> all of those words won't be in there, <laughs> but it's amazing that the, it's amazing what you do. And I'm really, I'm really glad that you're in the world for sure. Mm, I appreciate that. Yeah. I just know that the access to information isn't always easy to gain access Mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, it's intentionally created in a confusing way. Mm -hmm. And so anyone listening who's like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about writing a book. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you've already gone to Google and typed in something about how to get a book written and ended up coming back with so many results that conflict with each other that you don't know how to make a decision because it's so overwhelming and seems insurmountable. And so my approach is the exact opposite. Like I want it to be clear. I want it Mm -hmm. to be concise. I want it to be accessible. I want people to be able to take action. Like I can preach theories all day long, but Mm -hmm. if I'm not giving you something practical to do with, with that information, then no one's going to get their story out. And for me, it doesn't have to be through me or my company. Mm-hmm. As long as you get your story out, mm-hmm. my goal is, or even for the people who start writing a book and they don't finish it because of whatever reason might have come up for them, but they're mm-hmm. out there talking about their story or speaking mm-hmm. to groups about their story, even if it's not in, a, in the written form, I do not care. I just need people to get their stories out there more because the more mm-hmm. stories that are out there that are from these different unique perspectives, the better it is for everybody. Cause we're going to be able to see ourselves represented where mm-hmm. we might not have seen ourselves before. Right. And so to me, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And there's no slush pile at PYP. There's not. <laughs> They're not no. going to throw your stuff on a pile that never sees the light no. of day. <laughs> and I will say that even if the book is not something that we would publish for any number of reasons, we have other people that I personally connect people to that I know are going to take good care of them that will publish something like that. So uh-huh. I think that's important too, because I say no to more things than I say yes to significantly a higher count of no's versus yes. Really? Just because of bandwidth, it has to be a uh-huh. values alignment. It had like, we have very uh-huh. specific you know, books that we want to publish. And mm-hmm. so when those things happen, I have other people that are awesome, incredible book publishers that have different focuses than we do. So mm-hmm. we don't do fiction. You know, we don't do um, like children's books. We have a couple. It's not our specialty at all. So I usually prefer people go elsewhere for children's book mm-hmm. cookbooks. Those aren't really our thing. And so there's a lot of stuff that isn't our thing. Mm-hmm. But if I've created some kind of trust with somebody, I want to make sure that I can personally 
give their hand to the next person's hand to mm-hmm. know that they're going to get a good experience because this industry mm-hmm. otherwise is just so predatory. You know, they see mm-hmm. first time author and it's just dollar signs mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you don't know because you don't know what you don't know what to ask. You don't know who to trust. And then mm-hmm. it stops people from telling their story. Yeah. And so that's my goal is to just get people to really be more empowered to tell their stories yeah. in whatever form that might take. Yeah. So if you are listening and you think, hey, I think I have a book in me, or, <laughs> or even if you're not sure, stay connected because Jen is always running workshops and, and you know, author labs and you can mm. do that for free and you can just see if there's a if there's a book in you. You just never know. So those of you who have already told about PYP, get on the stick. Call Jen. <laughs> so how do people get in touch with you, my dear? Because I know that you've got somewhere to be and I don't want to make you late. So um, how can people get in touch with you? And I'll be putting all of your links on the show page. But what's the easiest way for people to connect with Jen T. Grace? Well, you can go to publisherpurpose.com. And there you so go. That's, that's the easy way. It's got all the links. Um, but I'm on all of the places as Jen T. Grace. And it's Jen with two N's. So I'm on all, all of the platforms. That's me personally. Uh, you are welcome to check us out. Or we're at Publisher Purpose, I think, on all the platforms too. So we are accessible. And if you want to actually schedule time to meet, you can go to meetwithpyp.com. And then you can go right in to the, the process because I will chat with anybody. <laughs> That's the truth. I did that. <laughs> and she sure did. And she gave me the best idea for my, she never even met me and talked a little bit like minutes about my book. And then all of a sudden she asked about my cover and I said something about what I was thinking. And she's, oh, you know what I think? And she gave the most brilliant idea. And I'm like, that's my girl. I got, <laughs> if, she, yeah. if she knows that so fast, I got, I got to be with her. So that's Jen, what I'm saying about being a channel, right? That's right. You just like know just stuff. Come through. <laughs> She just knows stuff <laughs> wherever it comes from. <laughs> we are great. Oh, you're somewhere. It yeah. is. It is. Well, I, I do honor you. I, I honor your story. I thank you so much for coming today. It's, it's so sweet to have you here. Honestly. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I, I don't get to talk about religion often enough, so it's fun when I can, <laughs> when I can ch- chat about that. Yeah. So, thank you. You're welcome. And guys, thank you for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Jen Grace, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com and we'll have it all there for you. If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the God of your understanding, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned to hear how you can join the gay with God community and check out our Facebook group gay with God. Or if you need a little coaching support to get you through your coming out faith journey story, you can go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and you can see how you can connect with me. See you next week, guys. Thanks so much. I want to invite you to become a part of the gay with God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community 
will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.